welcome to the Harvest Seymour podcast. Come check us out and see how God is moving in this community. If you would like to know more, check out our Facebook page, or you can visit us at hcfseymour.org. Have a wonderful day. Well, let me just give a quick announcement real, uh, real fast. Uh, should have heard it at the beginning, but uh, we are having a, a drive-in service at the rodeo grounds and really looking forward to that. It's going to be a blast and, and uh, it's going to be a real big, as a matter of fact, we're going to have uh, um, huge sound traveling out all, of the, all over the airways. I just really hope and pray you can make it. Um, if for some reason you can't, we will still have the service online, and uh, you'll, but you'll be watching us out at the rodeo ground, and so we're just going to be having a big old party out there, and, and I can't wait, and, uh, but please stay tuned, keep following us on social media, because in this ever-changing climate, things like to change, <laughs> amen? And so, but just stay tuned. All right. So now I want to go ahead and jump back in or jump into today's word. And we've been in this series called uh, Above the Chaos and Into the Kingdom. Above the Chaos and Into the Kingdom. And we began with this idea, your spirit man is in the kingdom. The kingdom is in you. And the kingdom is never in chaos. Amen. So here's the deal. There is... There is the potential for you to be at peace while surrounded by chaos. Why? Because of he who abides in you. He who is in you. There is potential for you to be at peace in the storm. Amen. And then in some cases, even stand up in in the boat as Jesus did and speak peace to the storm. Amen. And so here's the deal. When our life is anchored in the unchanging person, Jesus, and his unshakable kingdom, we can actually live above an environment filled with chaos. Amen? When we are anchored to him. And if you want to hear more about that, I would encourage you to go back online and look at last week's teaching. But I want to keep building upon uh, this theme. And so the title of today's message is this, Entrance to the kingdom. Entrance to the kingdom. I'm going to be, begin right here at Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so, Lord, I just ask God right now for the unfolding of the scriptures. God, that every, every heart, every mind... Lord, every ear would be tuned in, Lord, to your word today, God. I pray, Father, just for your grace over over these words today, God. And I pray, Father, that your anointing travel uh, through this screen that visit every home, Lord, right now. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. One of my favorite movies is The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, based off of C.S. Lewis's book, uh, his book series. And, and the book series begins with the line, The Witch and the Wardrobe, and that was the first, first movie. But the way that it starts off, the setting is in World War II in England, 
And there are these four siblings that are hauled off to the country to go live with the professor who was taking in kids. And that was part of the a program during that, that day and age in order to protect the kids who, who might be in, in harm's way uh, during the war. Well, one day while they are uh, playing inside the house, they're trapped inside, they break something and, and, and they were afraid of the governess because she seemed to be a very mean lady. And so they were afraid of her and so they, they take off and they run and they run into this room and they enter into this wardrobe. Now, for those of you who don't know what a wardrobe is, it's basically a big, huge closet cabinet, okay? And so they run into this wardrobe. Well, it just so happens that this wardrobe was a secret entrance into the land of Narnia. And the land of Narnia was this, this realm of villains and heroes and all kinds of, you know, uh, things take place there. And, and, and what they discover as soon as they enter in to this whole new world, they realize that they are actually central figures, central people in this epic battle. And they, they discover that they are actually royalty in the land, that people have been waiting for them to step into this role and that, and that they had been, people had been waiting for them to come and, and liberate the land. And they were waiting uh, for them to come and, and reign alongside of the great lion king, uh, Aslan, right? And so, this, and so what happens is, is they, they left one world and entered into a completely new world. And in this new world, they were constantly being challenged to embrace their royal identity. Now, you ought to see the movie. I mean, but, but, this, but that's, that's a snapshot of, of what happened. But here's the thing. This epic, crazy, adventure-filled journey began by going through the wardrobe. The wardrobe was the entrance into this whole other world. See, in the kingdom of God, repentance is entrance into his kingdom. Repentance is entrance into the realm and the domain of the king's rule. Repentance is entrance, right, to the kingdom of God. So let's look here again at Matthew 4, 17. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so after Jesus was in the wilderness, he began to preach this sermon right here. This was like the headline of his sermon. As soon as he was coming out of the wilderness, he began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, in other words, God's kingdom and his king, King Jesus, was near. And the only right response because of their nearness was to repent. Are you tracking with me this morning? Okay, here's the deal. Nearly every mighty move of God in biblical history, Old Testament and New Testament, began with repentance. Nearly every move of God, every great move of God for the past 2,000 years of church history and, and, per, and, and even in individual lives and in communities and in regions and nations and states, it all began with this truth of repentance. Repent 
For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you're wanting God to move in your life, try repentance. Over the years, the way many preachers have communicated uh, the definition of repentance, and I would, I'm putting myself in this category too, was we, we would define it as like to change the way you think, which, which really, it, it's the literal definition. And it, it actually comes from the actual Greek word, metanoia, you know, meta meaning change, noia, your mind. And so, so the natural thought process and defining it was change the way you think, and that would be repentance. But, in, but I began to see in our humble attempts to communicate the truth of repentance, I don't ever want to oversimplify and that we draw wrong conclusions. Because whenever you begin to examine repentance, it's kind of like saying, uh, I had brain surgery and then telling everybody I changed my mind. <laughs> Changing your mind... Like saying, I, I no longer like apples, I like bananas. Equating that to brain surgery is quite a stretch. See, and here's what I'm getting at. The Bible portrays a deeper picture of repentance than simply changing your mind. I, I would say the testimony of Scripture conveys a much deeper picture than just simply changing your mind. Actually, I think the, simpli the, the simplicity of that idea, in my view, actually cheapens the kingdom of God and it devalues the blood that was shed on our behalf. Because why? Because sin required blood. And to say that repentance is just to change our mind might just actually trample the blood of Christ. It doesn't take into offense, it doesn't take into account our offense against Christ. Maybe, maybe just maybe, instead of saying change our mind, maybe we should say brain surgery that, that I submitted and surrendered myself to be laid open on a table at the mercy of a master brain surgeon who did a masterful work in bringing order and peace to my mind, my heart, and my whole life that has a generational impact that didn't just change my life, but it changed the life of everyone I touch, everyone I see, everyone I have a relationship with. From generation to generation. Yeah. And it's not just simply change of mind. See, Romans 2 says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. But verse 1 says to put yourself up on the altar as a living sacrifice. Maybe that's a, maybe just maybe. We've overstated, oversimplified, and trying to communicate a truth for everyone to understand, but we've missed the depth of it. I don't ever want to do that again. We cannot trivialize sin. We must recognize that it actually cost Jesus' life. Probably the most famous repentance story in the Bible is David's after he was called out by Nathan the prophet for his adultery, murder, national conspiracy, abuse of office. 
And we find this prayer in Psalm 51. I'm going to hit a few of those verses. Verse 4 says this, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David spent seven days on his face in repentance and prayer and fasting for the life of a child that he, that he fathered outside of wedlock. Then you have the prophet Jonah, who was a man of God, who could hear God, who spoke the words of God, yet refused to obey God, and he refused to go to Nineveh. And then he spent three days and nights in the belly of a well. It's not exactly a three-day retreat of seeking God. Okay? His repentance to God, after he repented, after he was upchucked onto the land, he repents. And he goes to the city of Nineveh, and that whole city, the city of Nineveh repents and, and comes back to the Lord. Then there's Zacchaeus, that old crooked tax collector, that old crooked politician who robbed from the community. He encounters Jesus. He's up in this sycamore tree trying to see uh, the Lord pass by. And so Jesus invites himself to come to Zacchaeus. Zach, you ought to invite me to your house for lunch. That will be a good idea. And, look, and then you look at his response. Luke 19, 8. Zacchaeus says this. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And then Jesus goes on to say, wow, salvation has come to his house today. And so this crooked tax collector suddenly becomes an amazing giver and benefactor to the whole community. And this repentance in his life happens in microseconds. Then there's the Samaritan woman at the well. She actually went to the well at... At, the, at a certain time of day to avoid people. She wanted to hide in shame over her sins. She didn't want to see people. She wanted to avoid them at all costs because she knew how she lived. Everybody seemed to know how she lived. And yet for just some type of peace and solace to avoid people, she goes to collect water at a time of day when no one else would be there. And yet runs into Christ. And they have this honest conversation and, and Jesus begins to really in, in a humble way confront her about her life. And he begins to tell her about these five relationships she's had with men. Talks to her about her sin. And he offers her eternal life right then and there. And then she runs to town and look what happens in John 4, 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So think about this. This shame-based woman who, was spent, who started her day hiding from everyone, not wanting to see anybody, suddenly goes to the whole town and says, Hey! 
This guy says he's the Messiah. And many came to Christ because of this woman's repentance. All of that happens in a conversation. So here's what I'm, I'm drawing. The I want you to draw this conclusion. All these instances have different time frames, different stories, different paths, different details, different ideas, different people, different life stories. But it's all repentance. It was repentance and then entrance into the kingdom with kingdom results. Question. Who then needs to repent? David... A king appointed and anointed by God needed repentance. Jonah, a prophet who could hear God, needed to repent. Zacchaeus, a crooked politician, he needed repentance and found it. The Samaritan woman, a needy, adulterous woman, needed repentance. And she found it and stepped in to her destiny, stepped in to who God called her to be. This amazing evangelist who was unashamed in front of people. See, here's the deal. People with a relationship with God need repentance. People without a relationship with God need repentance. Because one day we're all going to stand before a holy God and have to give an account for our life choices. Would to God that we repent now and find our lives nestled and hidden in the safety and bosom and arms of Christ. Now I want you to look at two situations that didn't repent. Here's the first one. Matthew 11 Verse 20, then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And in verse 21, the letters are in red. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So what's happening here is Jesus is making it a comparison. Two cities against two cities. Tyre and Sidon were, were wicked cities in the Old Testament which had, which had no miracles and yet were judged because of their sin. Bethsaida and Chorazin had a visitation of the king and his kingdom, saw miracles, signs, and wonders, and did not repent. He said, well, we'll face a far greater judgment. What was Jesus' plan to bring those cities to repentance? Miracles, signs, and wonders. In other words, Jesus went to those cities displaying his goodness, displaying the goodness of God, who he is, and the coming of this city, and yet they didn't repent. They were like, thanks for the healed headache, but we're good. Thanks for the, for the healed uh, leprosy, but we're good. And they did not evaluate their life. Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? I'm going to say this again. The goodness of God 
leads you to repentance. So check this out. If God has been good to you, then just like the warning lights on the dashboard of your vehicle indicating uh, uh, something to you, when God has been good to you, that needs to be like the flashers going off inside, the lights going off inside of your vehicle, that if he's been good to you, that's a sign to you that you better wake up. If God's being good to you, that's not, so that he's, that's not necessarily that he's okay with your life choices. Because God's going to be good to you regardless. Why? Because that's who He is. But we better make sure our life choices are lining up. His goodness is also your warning. (laughs) You go, God is good all the time. Well, we better wake up to repentance. And I'm not telling everybody to live with a guilty conscience. I'm not saying that. But maybe, just maybe, in light of his goodness, that we would honor him. That we would honor him as king. Maybe, just maybe, there needs to be a restoration of the fear of the Lord. I want to read you a second place where there was no repentance. It's in Matthew 19, starting with verse 16. And we're just going to walk through this story. It's the story of the rich young ruler who had this very honest and revealing conversation. Verse 16, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And see, even right now, he is so close to goodness. So close to the goodness of God. It was present, but his life was filled with riches. Now check this out, verse 18. He said to him, so he's asking the questions, so the tax collector, I'm getting all of it. The rich young ruler is asking, which ones do I have to keep? Which laws do I have to keep in order to get it? And so he said to them, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to them, all these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Lord, I kept my nose clean. I've been a real good boy. I've obeyed the law. I've, and see, what the problem was is he obeyed on a surface level. He, he did not commit any outward sins. Jesus would often say of his own people, these people confess me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That was his condition. This man's heart was far from Christ. And what does Christ always want? Our heart. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful because he had a great many possessions. He had a great many possessions. Or maybe all of the possessions had him. 
See, repentance escaped him because of what filled his life. See, Jesus was giving him a prescription, give it all away in order to free his heart. And I think this is where much of the American church is at today, just like the rich young ruler. Repentance escapes us because of what has filled our hearts. It's filled with lesser gods. We wouldn't, we wouldn't call them gods, but, they re, but these lesser gods receive our time, our money, our affections, while Christ remains a Sunday event, a Sunday moment. You see, this season, with all that's been removed, it should highlight to us the lesser gods that we love. Sports, entertainment, you just go down the list of these lesser gods that have our attention and our focus. And I felt like this is another word this morning, specifically to students. But I really felt like the Lord was showing me that seniors, you've said this season, uh, has destroyed you. And that you felt singled out. But I feel like the Lord is saying to you that the Lord has singled you out, but it's not to destroy you. But the Lord is actually seeking a generation who would set their hearts on Him and seek only Him. To have your heart established for Him, to Him, and all about Him. That, the God, is, that God is actually seeking a generation who would seek His face. He is calling out students at this point in time to seek the Lord like they never have before, to have all of their hearts and affections turned to the Lord God. Beloved, He has not singled you out to destroy you. He's singled you out to establish you. He is calling out a new generation. So that one's for free. Verse 23. And Jesus said to His disciples, and this is right after this conversation with the rich young ruler, Jesus says to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. See, true repentance is always a work of God. See, just simply changing your mind, man can do that. But repentance, that kind of brain surgery repentance is a work of God, and we have to yield to Christ. You see, that rich young ruler needed repentance. He needed to travel through the eye of the needle and to enter into the kingdom of God. And see, here the, here's the thing. That was impossible for him. He could never travel through the eye of the needle on his own. But all Jesus needed from him was a yes, I repent. Then Jesus could reach through that eye of the needle and pull him on out. You see, David passed through the eye of the needle. Jonah passed through the eye of the needle. Zacchaeus and the woman at the well all passed through the eye of the needle. They were able to step into that impossible realm because they repented. But this rich young ruler didn't know that repentance was the entrance to another realm. 
Matter of fact, repentance is impossible without Jesus Christ. Repentance is impossible without a work of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is the path for everyone. But it is never by our power. It is by the work of the Holy Spirit. You can never truly rise above the chaos and enter the kingdom unless you have repented. Peace will escape you. Joy will escape you. Love will escape you. But if you are not living a lifestyle of repentance, chaos will have you. I wanted to close with one of the Psalms of David, Psalm 24. Starting with verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Psalm 24 is all about making a people ready to receive their king. And the phrase, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, is, an act, is actually an invitation to draw near. It's, it's really, it's a repentance invitation to draw near to the Lord. And so what is he looking for? He's looking for clean hands, a pure heart, and a soul that has no idol other than him. A soul that's not sworn deceitfully. You see, this season of time should actually awaken us to the fact that there may be some unclean hands, that there might be some impurities of the heart, that, it, that there's some idols in our heart. What if, what if Christians, we spent too, more time fighting for our idols that, and, and rights than we did for actually establishing the Lord as number one in our heart? I would probably say you've blown the season. If you're spending all your time fighting for your idols... And we look at this thing like clean hands, a pure heart, no idols, not lying, not sworn deceitfully. You hear that and we all say, or many of us would probably say, man, that's not me. I got some stuff. You know, and if that's you today, and I would tell you, good way to go. I'm happy for you. Because the last thing we need today is people in denial. We need honest hearts. You see, the, the truth of, this, of that is, is that this is an invitation into the impossible. It is an invitation into the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You cannot make yourself have clean hands. You cannot make yourself have a pure heart. You cannot make yourself not have idols. You cannot make yourself not lie. It is actually a work of the Holy Spirit in you. You need Christ to help you deal with all of those things because before the King of Kings, the Lamb of God, we all have unclean hands. We need an advocate. True repentance is a work of the Holy Spirit in us as we humble ourselves. 
Beloved, today, if you have unclean hands or an impure heart, I want you to know that Jesus can pull you through the eye of the needle. He can do the impossible. He can pull you through the wardrobe and cause you to enter into a whole other realm. He can do the impossible. So I don't care if you've never met Jesus or if you've known Jesus for 50 years, repentance is for you. Repentance is a lifestyle. We can't have clean hands and a pure heart, but it takes repentance. Repentance is the entrance. So what I want to do right now is I want to take a moment. I want to kind of slow down. If we could have a pad play or something like that. But if you can, just take a moment. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes, even even at your own home. I don't want you to place your hand over your heart. I just begin to ask the Lord, search me and know me, Lord. Know what is in my heart. Help me to know, Lord. Lord, in what way have my hands been unclean? Just begin to ask the Lord. Talk to me, Lord, about the idolatry things that I've placed higher than you. Show me, Lord, the ways that I've lied against you. Just ask the Holy Spirit just to bring those things to mind. sense the Holy Spirit is probably highlighting five or six things. And here's what you need to know. The Holy Spirit is not saying try harder, do better. That is not how this works. The way that this works is by surrender. So just tell the Lord, Lord, I surrender. I surrender the unclean actions of my hand. Uh, Lord, I, I, I surrender, Lord, to the impurities of heart. I surrender it to you. Surrender the idolatry. Lord, we surrender to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, we repent for having other gods before you. Oh, we surrender to Christ, Lord. We turn our back on these things and we turn to you, Christ. King of glory, we turn to you, King Jesus. We yield to you, King Jesus. We bow the knee to you, King Jesus. We surrender to you, King Jesus. 
We are sorry, Lord, for chasing after other gods, for, for allowing things into our hearts, Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to reach through the eye of the needle and to pull us into, Lord, the kingdom of God. Where your rule and reign is so evident in our life. Holy Spirit, do a mighty work in us. Lord, we don't want to cling to these idols as though they could save us or deliver us. Lord, we want to cling to you. Lord, we surrender. Put us up on that operating table, O oh Lord. Draw us through the wardrobe closet and into a whole other realm, Lord. God, we repent. We surrender today, Lord. Hmm. Love you, Lord. Now let's just trust the Holy Spirit right now that he's doing an amazing work. Here's the thing. I really feel like for some of us, we need to open up to a trusted person about what we just repented from. Because sometimes this stuff is a process that the Holy Spirit wants to, a journey that he wants to take us on. And so I want to encourage you to open up to a trusted friend. And if, and if, that, if, if you don't have that, I want to encourage you to email us, to, uh, to reach out to us somehow. Yeah, um, and to let us know how we can begin to partner with you and pray with you over those different things. Beloved, repentance is a lifestyle. I don't care if you've known Jesus five minutes or 50 years. Repentance is acknowledging his lordship over your life. It is a way of life that we would have no other gods before him. So in this season of time, I would encourage you right now just to begin to examine your choices, the things that you watch, the things that you do. You know, allow the Lord to be king over your heart and over your life. I love you, church. I love you, love you. I cannot wait till we can get back together and worship again. Um, again, if, if this message speaks to you, please reach out to us and uh, let us know. We'd love to partner with you in prayer. Um, so next week we'll be out at the rodeo grounds I encourage you to be out there with us as we have a drive-in service out there last of all uh, if you're not able to participate on that particular Sunday it will be online but uh, we sure would love to see you I look forward to next week may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his countenance to shine upon you and give you strength see you next week thank you so much for listening we hope you enjoyed it have a blessed day